chapter 8, and we're looking at the ram and the goat. Daniel chapter 8, the ram and the goat. And we'll look at uh, a number of things here in the first 22 verses. Now, the Bible throughout history has been a hated book. It's been uh, the object and the subject of relentless attacks. And one of the most notable critics was a man by the name of Robert Ingersoll, lived from 1833 to 1899. He's probably considered by many one of the greatest thinkers of American history. He was born of the son of a Presbyterian pastor, and yet he chose a different role when it came to the Bible. Instead of preaching the Bible like his father, he spent a big portion of his life attacking and criticizing the Bible. For example, in one of his speeches, he said this, somebody ought to tell the truth about the Bible. The preachers dare not because they would be driven from their pulpits. Professors in colleges dare not because they would lose their salaries. Politicians dare not, they would be defeated. Editors dare not, they would lose subscribers. Merchants dare not because they might lose customers. Men of fashion dare not, fearing that they might lose uh, caste or class. Uh, even clerks dare not because they might be discharged, and so I thought I would do it myself. Now, a modern example, now this fellow lived, lived in 1800s, but a more modern example, and this I, I believe is, is, you can still find this, I guess, if you uh, wanted to, is the Skeptics Annotated Bible. Now, they have a website dedicated to pointing out the supposed errors and contradictions and discrepancies in the Bible. And the Skeptics Annotated Bible divides these supposed errors into 14 categories and raises 5,481 supposedly uh, uh, supposed errors, contradictions, and discrepancy in the Bible. And uh, I've looked at the, some of their errors. They claim they're in the Bible. But their errors are more about ignorance than knowledge. Uh, and so uh, there are those who would hate God's word and would try to destroy it. And they've tried that for many, many years. I think as long as the Bible's been in existence, they've been trying to destroy it. Remember during some of the uh, years where the Bible was outlawed in places in Europe, they, they would take and collect everybody's Bible and put it in a big heap and let it on fire. But you know what? We still have it today. And that's the wonderful thing. Uh, you can't destroy it. You can't get rid of it. Uh, the devil's tried. The devil hates the Bible. and He always has and always will. And there are always going to be those who are going to try to convince people that the Bible is anything and everything but the Word of God. And all, uh, the, with all the ta attacks and critics, it doesn't change the fact that it is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Now, when it comes to truth and reliability concerning God's Word, in my opinion, and, in, and that's not worth much, but anyway, Daniel chapter 8 is one of the greatest examples. And you want to be rely upon the truth, Daniel chapter 8 
is a testimony to the accuracy of the Bible. Now, in chapter 7, we looked at a dream and the visions that God gave Daniel. And as we move into chapter 8, we're seeing God giving Daniel another dream. And we notice in verse 1 and 2, In the third year of the reign of the king of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. And I saw a vision, and it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in a vision, and I was by the river Ulea, Ulei. Here we have in a second vision, Daniel sees some of the same truths that he saw in the first dream. Uh, the rise of world empires, but here he's giving a little greater in, uh, detail and uh, he sees a ram and a goat. These are two things that we notice here. It's a dream that primarily deals with two kingdoms that follow the Babylonian kingdom. So I want to consider this dream this afternoon and, and think about how this dream gives us a future portrayal of history. A future portrayal of history. Now, in verse 1, we read there, the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. Now, that's when Daniel had his dream. It would have been about the year 550 B.C. Daniel would have been around the age of 70 or so. Uh, in his vision, he finds himself in Shushan, which is 220 miles east of Babylon. Uh, Shushan is sometimes referred to as Susa, S-U-S-A. But he speaks of being in the province of Elam, which is located in Iran, what is today Iran. And he adds, there by the river of Ulai. Uh, it was the Ulai Canal that was, uh, was there classically called Ulasis. Now, the vision that he has, much like the first, gives us a future look, portrayal of history and the rise of certain kingdoms. Now, for Daniel, it's prophetic. But for us, it's historical. We can look back in history and see the literal fulfillment of what Daniel saw. So notice here what he, uh, he saw, and I want to point out two features of this dream. First, the prophetic revelation of the dream. In his second vision Daniel uh, of Daniel, we see again God using certain animals to depict the events. In chapter 7, remember, he used the lion, the bear, and the leper. And now he's going to use a ram and a goat. So first, Daniel saw a ram. In verse 3, it says, Then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram. Now, we don't have to speculate as what this ram represented or symbolized. We read down in verse 20 that it represented another kingdom. Notice verse 20. Go down to verse 20. Notice it says there, The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. So the Bible's not too hard to interpret there, is it? It gives us the interpretation. You know what? That happens a lot. You know, you don't understand what the Bible says many times. Look at another place that's a kind of a cross-reference, and you find the interpretation of what was said before that you didn't quite understand. But I find it interesting at the time when Daniel 
is told that the Grecians would one day conquer the Medes and the Persians, there wasn't any such thing as a Grecian Empire. You know, that kind of might, might have taken him back a little bit. You know, the Grecians are going to conquer. There's no such thing. They were just a small coalition of independent states, and yet Daniel saw them as one day being a world empire. And it's one thing to say such and such is going to happen, but it's totally different to say who such and such is. Uh, at the time, the Babylonian Empire seemed invincible. And yet Daniel sees the falling of another empire and sees who that empire will be. And then to add to that, he sees several hundred years through time and sees another empire conquered, conquering the Medes and the Persians and even sees an empire of the Grecian Empire which had, had not existed at that time. So here, notice this. Daniel chapter 8 is an example of how the Bible is accurate and reliable. Amen? All right. Just checking. Now, why is the Bible accurate? Well, it's the Word of God. Uh, God knows all things. He even knows the future. And he can tell us what's going to happen hundreds of, years, hundreds of years before it happens. Daniel 8 is that kind of a chapter. It's an example for us. Now, we look at the future portrayal of history, but even closer we see a factual, excuse me, I messed up there, prophetic identification. I didn't get you that, did I? For your outline, that's it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, moving right along. We have the prophetic revelation. We have the prophetic identification. And that's where he identifies these, uh, uh, these kingdoms. All right. The factual portrayal of history. So he not only sees two successive world empires in the ram and the goat, but he also sees certain features of them. And we'll look at these features, and we'll see that the future portrayal of history but also the factual portrayal. Now, if someone would read Daniel chapter 8 and didn't know that it was prophetic, they would think, well, I'm reading a history book. Down to the smallest detail, it describes the Medo-Persian and the Greek empires. Let me explain that. First of all, the forceful ram. The forceful ram. In Daniel 2, we saw Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We saw how the Babylonian Empire was symbolized by the head of gold. And he saw the Babylonian Empire being conquered by another. And that represented the arms and the chest uh, of silver. And we know by history that the Medo-Persians conquered the Babylonian Empire, uh, led by Cyrus the Great. And the ram that Daniel sees is clearly identified there in verse 20 as Medo-Persia. And then the ram was also a fitting symbol for Medo-Persia empire because it tells us the Persian ruler carried the gold head of a ram when he marched before his, his enemy or his army. Now, there was certain features of this ram or the Medo-Persian empire that Daniel saw in his vision. Uh, first, it had two horns. Rams normally have two horns, right? That's not unusual. But these two horns were unique. Daniel says their two horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher came last. 
Now that signifies the two powers, the Medes and the Persians, they were formed into one empire. And the higher one symbolizes that one being stronger than the other. Now before Cyrus came to power, uh, Media was already a major force and Persia was a smaller country. And yet when Cyrus gained control of Media, uh, forming the Medo-Persian Empire, he made Persia the more important of the two, which Daniel saw. Now in verse 4, look at verse 4. He saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver him out of his hand. Now before it happened, God said the Medo-Persian Empire would push westward, northward, and southward, conquering the nations. And when you get into the history, your history book uh, and you find that's an accurate description of the movements of the Medes and the Persians as they conquered nation after nation. Now, Daniel sees Medo-Persia uh, empire as invincible as it pushed to the west. It subdued Babylonia and Syria and Asia Minor and made raids upon Greece and northward subduing Armenia and Scythia and the Caspian Sea region. Southward, it subdued Egypt and Ethiopia. And no one could stand against the ram and no deliverance uh, from its power could be found. No country could resist so Daniel saw in verse 4 that he did according to his will. Medo-Persia did as it pleased and conquered who they desired as history shows us. Now Daniel saw the ram being great. Uh, this speaks of large and powerful empire. In fact, the history shows that more territory was controlled by this empire than any other until that time. So the increase in strength and power. Secondly, we see the furious goat. The furious, furious goat. In uh, verse 21, this goat is clearly identified as the Greek Empire. We know by history that the Medo-Persian Empire was conquered by the Greek Empire in 332 BC, led by Alexander the Great. I think it's interesting that a goat is used to depict the Greek Empire. The capital of Greece would be Aegea, which means goat. Now Daniel is thinking about this ram when he sees this goat coming out of the west, and the goat coming from the west points to the position and the location of Greece in relationship to Medo-Persia. And notice there uh, the words on the face of the whole earth. And that speaks of Alexander the Great. You remember he conquered the world before he was... 33 years old. And, uh, and the words, touch not the ground, speaks of the swiftness of the conquest. Now, the notable horn between the goat's eyes speak of the furious, uh, of the first king of the Greek empire, which we know as Alexander the Great. And although he only lived 33 years, he was one of the great military strategists of history. And Daniel 8 was written some 250 years before Alexander was even born. And yet it describes him in amazing detail. Now, in verse 6 and 7, Daniel saw the goat would conquer the ram. Verse 6, And he came to the ram and had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran into him in the fury of his power. Running into the ram in fury of his power and rage, describes Alexander's assault on the Persian Empire. 
Verse 7 says, And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him, and smote the ram, and spake his, brake his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Now, how many of you know what choler means? C-H-O-L-E-R. Ever seen that word before? Well, you have if you've read Daniel. <laughs> but you say, well, I don't know what that means, so I'm just going to keep going. Color means bitter. It means bitter. So you make a note of that uh, either in your Bible or your, your notes. It means bitter. The Greeks bitterly hated the Persians. And Alexander had determined to avenge the assaults by the Persian armies on his homeland. In 334, he was 21 years old. How old are you? 21. About the old of, as old as this young man right here. Conquered any worlds lately? <laughs> 21 years old. And uh, just, some, just think about that. He led armies of the Greece against Persians, bringing to an end the mighty empire of the Medes and Persians. Now we read in verse 8, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great. Now that means that Alexander conquered the most of the known world of that day, making Greece the greatest nation on the earth. It's interesting to note in history is that when Alexander came to the city of Jerusalem with plans to invade and to destroy the city of Jerusalem, the high priest came out with a scroll that contained the book of Daniel. Now, he showed Alexander the Daniel uh, chapter 8, and he explained that God had predicted his defeat of the Persian Empire. He said he was so amazed that Alexander the Great spared the city of Jerusalem. He did not destroy it. Now Daniel saw the greatness of Alexander the Great in the vision of the goat, but also something happened to the goat once it was great. Notice verse 8. When he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it to came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Alexander carved out an empire of 1.5 million square miles, but at the pinnacle of his career, he died at the age of 33. On returning from Babylon, he was taken with a severe fever, possibly malaria or COVID. No, that's it. And... Uh, on June the 13th, 323 B.C., he died. Now, he left two sons, Alexander IV and Heracles. Uh, both of them ended up getting murdered. And the mighty Greek empire was then partitioned among four Greek military leaders. And Daniel saw this in the great horn being broken. And afterwards, as it says there, four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Again, I emphasize that hundreds of years before this actually happened, uh, Daniel was uh, putting this down uh, for us to read. Again, it reads like a history book for us, but for Daniel it was prophetic. It was going to happen in the future. And then there were further historical details that are revealed in Daniel. In verse 9 we read, And out of them, one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the pleasant land. And he saw one come, 
coming from the four horns that would start small. Remember, it's a little horn, but eventually it would raise to a, uh, rise to a great power. And we know by history that exactly what occurred, this little horn represent Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And the pleasant land refers to the holy land. And Antiochus Epiphanes IV is particularly known for his hatred of the Jews and his exploits against the inhabitants of Palestine. Now look there in verses 10 through 12. Daniel foresaw the attacks on the Jewish people. Look at it. We read, And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down, and a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. And the host of heaven there... That phrase, the host of heaven, refers to the Jewish people. The casting down of this host and the stars and stamping them to the ground speaks of them being persecuted. In 170 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes assassinated the high priest Onias III, and over the next several years, he would execute thousands of Jews who resisted his regulations. Now, in verses 13 and 14, Daniel heard two angels conversing with one another about what was being seen. And here's what we read. Then I saw one saint speaking, and another saint said unto the certain saint which spake, How long should the, should, uh, shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of the desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, the word saint there is referring to these two angels. The word means holy ones. And one is asking the other, how long is this going to last? He was asking about the cessation of the temple worship and the persecution of the saints. How long would this last? And Daniel was told it would last 2,300 days and then the sanctuary would be cleansed. Well, 2,300 days is six years and four months. In 164 A.D., Judas Maccabees cleansed and rededicated the temple, which was 2,300 days after the high priest Onias III was assassinated. Hundreds of years before any of this ever happened, Daniel saw it happening. And we look back in history and we see, you know, God predicted all this to come to pass just as he said it would. Now, I've gone through a lot of, and Daniel's, you go through this and you read this, and what's this mean, what's this mean, what's this mean? What's it mean? Well, it meant some things there that people being conquered and, and people uh, conquering other people, and so what's that mean for me? You can depend upon this book. It's true. It's accurate. It's reliable. And if there's anything you don't, if you get anything this afternoon, it's, it's that. You can depend upon the Word of God. Now, again, you go back to the compilers of the skeptics' annotated Bible. They may say, well, it's time for us to all stop believing or pretending to believe a book that's so unworthy of belief. Don't you buy that for a minute. I say this book is worthy of our belief. 
And so I trust that's a blessing to you this afternoon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.